Warning, the following podcast contains foul language, sexual themes, and all sorts of other fun stuff. Listener discretion is advised. Today, we are going to discuss, I would say a mystery, but it's really not a mystery, but there is some mystery to it. Um, Sarah, do you have any idea what I'm going to talk to you about? I have literally no fucking clue. You texted me yesterday and you were like, hey, when we record tomorrow, it might have to be two episodes because there's a thing I've been researching and I really want to talk about it. But you also said that it wasn't current events related. So like, no, I have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> Sarah is going in blind, as are all of you. Now, I'm, I'm going to read you a few excerpts from the james patterson website (laughs) starting with the author bio just stick with me just stick with me i think i know where this is going (laughs) james patterson is the world's best-selling author his enduring fictional characters and series include alex cross the women's murder club Michael Bennett, Maximum Ride, Middle School, and Ali Cross. Along with such acclaimed works of narrative nonfiction as Walk in My Combat Boots, ER Nurses, and his autobiography, James Patterson by James Patterson, <laughs> Bill Clinton, The President is Missing, and Dolly Parton, Run Rose, Run, are among his notable literary collaborators. For his prodigious imagination and championship of literacy in America, Patterson was awarded the 2019 National Humanities Medal. The National Book Foundation presented him with the Literary in Literarian Award for Outstanding Service to the American Literary Community, and he is also the recipient of an Edgar Award and nine Emmy Awards. He lives in Florida with his family. Emmy Awards? How did he win he Emmy nine, Awards? I gave him no awards. <laughs> and I as a list of his awards, he won the National Book Foundation's 2015 Literary Award, which I mentioned before, the National Parenting Publications Honors Award, the International Reading Association's Young Adults Choices Book List, American Library Association Teens Top 10 Pick, London Times Books Since Children's Pick, 2011 2011 Nickelodeon Kids' Choice Award nominee. Okay. And Children's Choice Book Awards for Author of the Year 2010 for Maximum Ride. Uh, or Max, which I believe is going to be has something to do with Maximum Ride. Um, yeah, that's the fifth book in the series. Yeah, and was the nominee for Teen Choice Book of the Year in 2011 for Fang, and 2012 Author of the Year for Middle School. So uh, he's done a lot of shit. Yeah, got a lot of awards. Very prolific. Uh, you might say. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm, I can't, do you, can I guess what this thing is that you want to talk about or? Go for it. 
Are we going to talk about his ghostwriters? Oh, we're going to talk about his ghostwriters. <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had a feeling that's where this was going when you started. When you, first of all, the way you said he is the world's best-selling author, I was like, oh, we're going to talk about it. I think it starts in Maximum Ride. I think it starts with Fang is where he starts having nope. another writer on it. Nope. No? Where? Book one. Are you kidding? He has an unlisted co-author for the first four books of the series. It is... See, you're cutting You're cutting forward in my whole thing here, though. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. James Patterson is notorious for having co-authors slash ghostwriters on his stuff. Um, and this is something that's actually very common in uh, the, like, mainstream, like, old-school author community. Like, authors who have pumped out, like, hundreds of books. Like, I think it's, like, J.A. Will... Something. The guy who wrote Trigger Warning, but he's, like, actually dead. That was a whole controversy. But he's written, like, over 400 books, but, like, hundreds and hundreds of them were written by someone else or like with a, a ghostwriter or something like that. And it's like, they're using the name basically, right? Like they're literally just like people who don't have the notoriety that James Patterson has, but like, because their name is also on a book with James Patterson's name, they actually get to sell books. Well, it's interesting you say that because the name isn't always on the book. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, James Patterson also teaches uh, uh, writing classes and is known to the, he picks one person from the class and that person's book that they write from the class is published under James Patterson's name. Oh, well. James Patterson in the year 2021, before the month of September, is set to release 18 books. Oh my god! What? Oh my god, how many books has he written total? Or I say, you know, he, like... Not 282 before the 18 from this year, I believe. Oh my god stephen king has written 61 books i don't does stephen king have ghostwriters or is it just a him no. thing i don't think so it's it's just a him thing and I that's sure the thing not, I stephen, stephen king, king is an equally prolific writer Oh, yeah. No, I would say he's more prolific, just, like, in generally speaking. Because, like, yeah. you know, like, a, most older people, I would say, are pretty familiar with James Patterson. And, like, younger people have an idea, especially if they've read, like, his young adult books. But I think, in general, people, like, Stephen King is much more of a household name than James Patterson is. And more of a household name than J.K. Rowling is, much to her chagrin. Very true. But the point, <laughs> he's somebody who's known for writing exactly. lots of books. And yeah. he writes them all himself. And he only has 61. Yeah. That's, he has like a fifth 
of the books published under James Patterson's name. That's insane. And it turns out Stephen King, not a very big fan of James Patterson either. James really? Patterson likes Stephen King and compliments his writing. Stephen King talked shit about James Patterson for basically not doing his own work. I mean, yeah. And I just mean, letting you, people use his name. When you have ghostwriters and like everybody knows that you have ghostwriters for so much of your work. It's a little insane. And honestly, so, like, you know what? Thinking about it now, the fact that the Angel Experiment also had a co-writer does make sense thinking about it from the context of Maximum Ride is based on Where the Wind Blows, which was James Patterson's, which was a series that James Patterson wrote back in the 90s. That was an adult book series. It only had two books in it, and but they were about twice the length of the Maximum Ride books. So, like, four full-length Maximum Ride books. And they were a much more gritty take on the idea of human experimentation. Like, the bird kids were, like, freaks of nature instead of just being, like, cool angel kids in the Maximum Ride series. And, like, knowing that he had a co-author or that it was goat, the first book was ghostwritten actually makes sense because it feels like someone just took the idea of what James Patterson originally wrote and was like, well, what if we made it a young adult series uh, and that way we could crank out so many more books? Like, Glad you said that. <laughs> because in 2017... I, I, I took this from the Wikipedia article, which is very well sourced. Uh, <laughs> Digital humanities scholars Simon Fuller and James O'Sullivan published research showing that Patterson does not do much actual writing when collaborating with other authors. O'Sullivan writes, Patterson is all about story. Author, in its widely accepted sense, isn't always the most appropriate term for his role within the writing process. See, Patterson, a lot of the times, isn't a co-author, even. It is insulting to call him a co-author for these books. Basically, what he does is he says, here's a story premise, and hands it off to somebody else to do all of the writing for it. And then it's published under his name. And he even admits, uh, he has stated that he is simply more proficient at dreaming up plots than crafting sentence after sentence. Okay. So you know how I have like 30 different writing projects that I've started over the years? Because... I get really excited about a plot and then like I just can't like seem to sit down and like write it out. I still would not just like take the bare bones outline that I have and give it to someone else to actually write it out and then call myself an author. Like that's insane. Exactly. And that's one of the things I say is he has all this published under his name, and you could say he's helping out these smaller authors. But when it's his name plastered on the front in big font, yeah, 
it's basically him taking credit for somebody else's work, especially yeah. when he's not, when he admits he's not doing sentence by sentence writing. All he's doing is coming up with a concept and giving it to someone else. Coming up with an idea for a story isn't writing. And at that point, how can you even judge his work as an author? Because yeah. we don't know how much of anything on any given book he's actually contributed. So how can you say anything about James Patterson's skill or abilities as a writer with any level of certainty yeah. when he literally doesn't write? Sorry, I wanted to look up and see if there's a co-author listed on When the Wind Blows. Because this one came out in the 90s, and I don't know if he was... There is no co-author listed on Wikipedia for this book. But, like with Maximum Ride, it could just be an unlisted co-author. That's a good point. And that's the thing is, he just... Sometimes the co-authors just aren't listed. In Maximum Ride, the co-author is a little somebody named Gabrielle Charbonnet. Okay. Does that name sound at all familiar? It does. What else has, it's because, has she Well, number one, it probably sounds familiar because on the dedication page of Maximum Ride, it says, many thanks to Gabrielle Charbonnet. My conspirator who flies high and cracks wise. Okay. Huh. Meaning, sometimes these co-authors are getting dedications instead of actual co-authorship listed in the book. That's insane. It's You know what that reminds me of is those, you'll see dedications sometimes in the front of, like, nonfiction books that are written by men. And, like, the whole dedication page is, like, dedicated to my wife, who did all of the research, outlining, and interviews, uh, because I just couldn't get off my ass and get it done. And it's like, so she wrote the whole fucking book for you. That's insane. That's insane. What has he actually written? Does he write? What is his background? I'm so confused. <laughs> like, did he, did he have? Okay, he's, uh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, I'm just, like, confused. Like, did he have a job before he was an author that, like, gave him a lot of money so he could, like, give other people money to write books for him? I think he actually started writing his own stuff and then progressed into just using other people to write his ideas. It does look like he grew up working class. So it's not like his parents just like gave him a bunch of money and he does have an English degree. He has two English degrees. So I guess he had to have started off writing his own stuff. This is such a mystery. Yeah. So at some point in time, he got famous enough. And had enough money that he basically turned his own name into a publisher that would just be listed as the author for books. Wow. 
he little brown uh is his publisher and Uh he has his own imprint at little brown okay huh that's so weird you know what that does make me think of though is rick reardon i think we've talked about this before he has his own like publishing thing i don't know if if he like has his own publishing house at this point or if he just has his own imprint um but he does rick reardon presents where he has other authors who like like smaller authors who like write books it's almost all mythology related from like different cultures and stuff like that and then like basically the top of the book says rick reardon presents and it has like a little logo on it but then like the actual author's name is like on the bottom in like big print because it's basically just like him putting his stamp of approval on a thing you know and in my eyes i see that as him actually doing something for smaller authors especially because these are people who are often writing about the mythos from their own culture and the big difference i would say for is basically his stamp of approval is basically like a publisher a publisher listed on the front of a book is it's i'm the one representing this and it is more specific and more informative than just seeing a general publisher but like for example if i see a book that's listed with uh tor as the publisher Mm-hmm. I actually tend to pick up tour books more often because tour publishes a lot of uh, uh, LGBTQ books. Okay. And like every one I've picked up from tour is good that I've read. So at this point, I've just kind of have it in my head that tour is a publisher that tends to have good books within that topic area. And so him putting his stamp on the book is basically just saying, hey, here's a book about mythology with my stamp of approval. Yeah. And like you said, it's just written at the top because I've seen the books too. Yeah, it's just listed at the top. And then the publisher's or the uh, author's name is listed as a normal author name would be on a book. The way James Patterson does it does not feel like yeah just representing a book (laughs) yeah what james patterson is doing reminds me a whole lot of um i don't know how familiar you are with the vampire diaries but you know back in like 2009 when i was like deep in my twilight craze i was just ravenously reading like every single vampire novel i could get my hands on which is how i wound up reading the vampire chronicles by anne rice and realized what like a decent vampire novel actually was but one of the ones that i got really into was the vampire diaries and i only ever read one of the books from the series because i wound up just watching the show um which is very different from the series but basically what What happened was, um, what happened was, what happened was, so there was a point after there are like 13 books in the series or something like that. And only six of them were written by the original author, LJ Smith. Um, Alloy Entertainment, the company that made the show um, and has made several other shows like Gossip Girl and The Secret Circle and... Uh, the Pretty Little Liars was another one that they made back in like the 90s. 
they put out like they were a book packaging company so like you know how sometimes you can get books and they'll they'll like be in shrink wrap and they'll have like a little thing with them like at book fairs and stuff you would get like a yeah. book and it would have like a necklace attached to it or something like that so alloy entertainment goes to lj smith who was an author at the time and was like hey we want you we're gonna hire you to write this book series for us and lj smith was like okay sure and so Alloy Entertainment owns all the rights to those books, right? Like, she doesn't own the rights, even though she wrote all of them. And so there was a point where the guys at Alloy Entertainment were like, okay, you've got the two love interests, Stefan and Damon. But every the fans and the author were all Team Damon, okay? But Alloy Entertainment, for some reason, was Team Stefan. And so they were like, you either have to write the books for Stefan to be the main love interest or we're going to fire you. So LJ Smith was understandably like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to write the books the way that I think that they need to be written. So they fired LJ Smith as the author of these books. And they continued to have the books published with ghostwriters, okay? And But, like, at the top of the book, in pretty big font, it still just says L.J. Smith. But, like, in really tiny font, it says inspired by L.J. Smith. And so, like, there's several books in the Vampire Diary series that we straight up do not know who wrote them. Because it just says, like, inspired by the writing of L.J. Smith. And it and like it's not by L.J. Smith because she hasn't been writing them since like 2011 or something like that. That seems like a very big <laughs> fuck up on the part of her agent and legal team to yeah. allow a loophole like that in the contract where they could still use her name. Yeah. It's so essentially the way that I've seen people put it is like L.J. Smith probably felt pretty comfortable uh, in her writing for them because the show was wildly successful. Like it literally went on for eight seasons as a CW show. And most CW shows don't last past the first or second season um, aside from Supernatural and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But for the most part, the CW shows just like don't last that long. And so, like, it went for eight seasons. It was insanely successful. It was, like, the flagship show for CW for a very long time. And then she just got fired. And so they're just using her name. And, like, that, it's, like, kind of backwards where it's, like, instead of the author reaping the benefits by using the name, it's just, like, the publishing company that is reaping the benefits by using her name. I would sue so hard. She has no legal standing, from what I understand, because she doesn't own the Probably rights. because somebody fucked up. The... It's not yeah. about them using, like, writing it. It's putting her name in big font on the front of it when she's not associated with it anymore. Yeah, I think it's. I think they get around it by putting, like, inspired by the writing of L.J. Smith on it. Like, And it's like they don't even have to put her name on it anymore. It's just they do because it is the name that's on all of the previous books, you know? Like, they don't have to put her name on it because she doesn't write them anymore, and she never owned the books in the first place. But... Long story short, book publishing. Apparently extremely murky waters. Well, I think there's a little activity we're going to need to do. Okay. Um... 
So Gabrielle Charbonnet mm-hmm. uh, is actually a writer that also writes under the pen name Kate Tiernan. I recognize and that is name. Probably because she is already famous for writing her own young adult series of books uh, called Sweep. Okay, yeah, that sounds uh, familiar. And she, I, I, I'm unsure if it is the same, another name for the same series, but she, it's, uh, there's also the Wicca series. And that might be Sweep or it might be a separate series. I'm unclear. But I have a theory. Okay. And I think we can test this. So... So many times when reading Maximum Ride, we're like, James Patterson, what the fuck are you doing in the head of this 15-year-old girl trying to write this character? I think it may not be James Patterson in the head of this 15-year-old girl trying to write this character. It's a 60-year-old woman in the head of this 15-year-old trying to write this character. And the only way to be sure is if we, we don't have to read like even an entire book. But if we go and read little excerpts from these books and see if the writing style matches what we're used to reading in Maximum Ride. And if it does, then there's a pretty good chance that we aren't criticizing James Patterson anymore. (laughs) We're actually criticizing Gabrielle Charbonnet. Okay. Do you have excerpts from these books? Do you did you buy one of these books? No, I wish. <laughs> I am too broke right now. But I think this is something we need to do and then we can come back next time and be like okay, definitely is her writing everything or like mm, mixed signals here. Not Sounds really like sure. A great idea. Um I do have something that I want to point out. But it's unrelated to the ghostwriting thing. So if you have any more to say on that, go ahead. Um, But there's something very important that I just read on the Wikipedia page for Maximum Ride. Uh, Go ahead and throw it at me. So I scrolled down to the film adaptation um, section just to see. like, Because I know that it was a very long and arduous process to even... Be, be made okay and so i was reading it and it was like oh like there was this there were these there was this guy who had worked on spider-man and x-men uh who would produce and then you know stuff like that and then i get to the section where they talk about who was going to direct this film in its original form back in 2010 you get one guess and then i'm gonna tell you and you're gonna scream as to who Kristen was- hardwick Catherine Hardwick, that's what it was. Oh, I got it! Catherine Hardwick directing the Maximum Ride movie. Oh my god! If there's anyone out there who did not listen to our entire series on Twilight, but then is now listening to the series on Maximum Ride, Catherine Hardwick directed at least the first Twilight movie. I don't remember if she also directed New Moon. But she's fucking insane. And I say this in the most loving way possible because she does not seem at all like a bad person. She's just out of her mind. 
for reference, my favorite, like the thing that still sticks to my into my brain to this day, is that when having uh, Kristen Stewart audition for the role of Bella, she had Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson in her own bed in her bedroom, making out to try and see if it worked. <laughs> As though they don't do screen testing during, like, standard audition practice. Like, oh my god. My, the thing that I will always remember was when we were watching the deleted scenes. And so in between each deleted scene on the DVD cut, oh there was this little interlude of uh, Catherine Hardwick talking about like what these scenes were and why they were removed. And one of them was her talking about how she wanted the evil vampires to be like, weird and sexy like she wanted them to be like sexy and primal and stuff like that and she's just she's very weird in the way she talks so she's acting all weird and then you watch the scene where they are very like <laughs> nastily making out like against a tree and poor Laurent the actor playing Laurent is like standing off to the side just like what the fuck is going on like i will never not feel bad for laurent uh because i don't know if you know this but back when um twilight was being made into a movie uh stephanie meyer said that when you become a vampire you lose all the melanin in your skin therefore all vampires are white um which is just a thinly veiled reason for her to not have any people of color in her story so when they were casting the movies they she was like the only way that you can make a person of color a vampire in these movies is if they're one of the villains whoa okay mormonism <laughs> so the reason that the only non-white vampire at least in the first movie is laurent is because like that was the only way they could have a non-white vampire character was for it to be one of the villains and, like, I think they were trying to get around that by making it Laurent in the first movie because Laurent isn't technically a villain. Like, he's not really a villain until New Moon because he's just kind of a dude minding his own business and then he leaves, right? But then New Moon got made and it was still a whole issue. <laughs> so, um, fun uh, diversion based on that for our listeners who are not Mormon. Uh, in the Mormon faith, up until just a few decades ago, uh, black people were considered evil. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were considered to be the descendants of people who sided with Satan during a rebellion against God. And their punishment was uh, the curse of melanin that makes them dark-skinned. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, do you know um, what those are called? What the people are Racist? called? No. 
in the, in the Mormon faith, people of color, until a few decades ago, and still to this day, because people are still racist, but they were referred to as Lamanites. And yes. I have a friend um, who is recently ex-Mormon um, who told me that people within his own church would call him a Lamanite. Because, and they, they would say it in a way that was like, oh, I don't mean it in a bad way. It's just, you know, historically speaking. You're a Lamanite. That's what you are. And now we know why Stephanie Meyer is the way that she is. We have diverted so far from the original path. Catherine Hardwick is the best thing to ever happen to the Twilight series. And if Catherine Hardwick had made a Maximum Ride movie, we would have gotten all 12 Maximum Ride books. I just love Here, the way Pause for a second. She... I'm receiving a phone call and I need to make sure it's not my delivery driver. I need you to cut that out of the episode and put it either before the intro or at the very end of the episode. <laughs> of me trying to explain how to get into my apartment complex? Yes. It's so, it's not complicated, but people get confused. Yeah, that's, I was confused listening to it. Like, how, why do they need this much explanation of how to find a building? It has a number I, on the side of it, doesn't it? I don't know. It does, yeah. So it's building 16. Go up the stairs to the third floor. It's number 1638. You know, not that difficult. But anyway, so, uh, what were you saying? I just always appreciate the interludes between the cutscenes, <laughs> because she says everything to the camera as if she is telling it a dirty little secret oh yeah i remember that she was always like yeah so the reason that we didn't put this scene in the movie is it just didn't flow very well and you're like Catherine. uh put your tits away stop yeah i feel like i can feel her hand creeping up my thigh as she's saying it <laughs> and and it's like a lot of the scenes were just like nothing like they didn't really have it wasn't super exciting i remember there were a couple of scenes where i was like well why did you cut this like the the movie was an hour and 51 minutes long and there were a couple of scenes that were like 30 seconds long that I was like, why did you cut that? It, it didn't, you, it would have added to the movie, but you left it out anyway. I have to go back and rewatch those uh, deleted scenes because that was Those teenagers, trip. at the hour and 51 minute and 30 second mark, they just lose it. You know, you can't keep them past that hour and 51 minutes. Yeah. I think it's because most movie uh, distributors want your final cut to be under two hours, especially for, like, the first movie in a series. Um, because, like, I think people, generally speaking, people do lose interest a lot. But, like, when you have eight minutes of credits and when this is a time before mid and after credits scenes, what does it matter like, it's, people aren't going to stay for the credits anyway. People might stay to hear Decode by Paramore in the first, like, three minutes of the credits because that's a fucking banger of a song. And it hurts my heart that it's not on Spotify. 
And then it's going to switch to some instrumental thing going on the rest of the time. And everyone's going to walk out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I don't know. Catherine Hardwick is a gift. I wonder what she's directed recently. I don't know if she's directed. Porn. She directed Red Riding Hood. She directed nothing of note. Oh, poor lady. I'm convinced if we went and looked it up, she would be a porn director. She's not. I'm looking at it right now. She's not a porn director. Are you sure? I am positive. I'm looking Maybe she at porn it right directs now. under under like a pen name. <laughs> yeah, a, a pen name or a porn name. Oh, oh. maybe she co-directs. Maybe. She directs porn the way James Patterson writes books. <laughs> she just comes up with the idea and uh, someone else has to direct it. Um, uh. Anyway, do you want to talk about the book, Maximum Ride School's Out Forever? Yeah, well, that was like 40 minutes, so... Do we, we should want to probably do a split bonus it. episode. Okay, I can. Do, we can do yeah, that. Let's split this. Um, All right. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, hope you guys enjoyed our uh, twenty-five minutes of James Patterson analysis <laughs> and twenty minutes of absolute insanity. <laughs> talk about that but like you know me i'm gonna have a a million thoughts on the matter oh my god this is why we can't do let's get haunted we can't (laughs) look look if you had said like oh this is gonna be like let's get haunted style you need to shut the fuck up and not say anything then i would have done that very nicely oh that was my mistake okay yeah because this was definitely intended to be let's get haunted style I'm so sorry. I just wanted to give my input. I got very excited. <laughs> but I'm hoping that that will be a good bonus episode for our friends. Um, and then we can get into the real episode. Oh, they're now. not even listeners now. They're just friends. Yeah, no, they're not listeners. They're friends. I like this. Okay. They're just friends now. <laughs> All right, now we're going to start the real episode.